We're for sharing innovative treatments and preventing disease before it ever develops. Learn how our team is working to better care for you on this edition of UVA Health System Radio. Here's Melanie Cole. This is Bill Klaproth in for Melanie Cole. A pulmonary embolism is a blockage in one of the pulmonary arteries in your lungs. Could this happen to you? Dr. Adita Sharma is the director of the vascular medicine program at UVA Health Systems and is here to talk with us today. Dr. Sharma, thanks so much for joining us today. How does a pulmonary embolism develop? Great. Thank, thank you for inviting me. So um, a pulmonary embolism is, uh, uh, is basically a blockage of the blood vessels in the lungs where, where typically the blockage occurs from blood clots um, that usually form in the blood vessels in the legs and then go up. Um, to to the lungs. Um, so uh, how how does it occur? Uh, as as through many different means. Uh, uh, one of the things um, that that um, it typically occurs is typically occurs after surgery or if somebody has been immobilized for a long period of time, and and that immobilization can be because they just drove six eight hours straight in the car, or or because you know they broke their ankle and now they cannot move for some reason or the other. Um, which, uh, when these things happen, usually the blood tends to be stagnant for a long period of time in the leg, um, and that causes a clot to form there, which then breaks off and goes to the lung. Um, the other ways it can happen is some people can just have some kind of um, blood clotting disorder, which could be genetic. Um, and in some situations, if somebody has cancer, cancer can make the blood a lot more clottable or hypercoagulable, and, and these people also can develop blood clots. Uh, that's sort of one, the more common ways of getting blood clots. So a pulmonary embolism isn't necessarily age-specific? This can happen to young people and old people alike? So, so that's a good question, very interesting question. Um, no, actually, there is a difference. And uh, typically, pulmonary embolism is more likely to occur in older people uh, than younger people. Um, if it occurs in a young person, we generally will look for blood clotting disorders uh, more frequently. Um, and one of the reasons behind why older people are more likely to get uh, uh, pulmonary embolism more is probably from the fact that the inside of the blood vessels, which is the endothelium, after years and years of, you know, uh, being exposed to irritants such as smoke um, and, and so on can actually become damaged. And, and I think that's one of the reasons why they are more at risk of getting blood clots. So when you say inactivity, it's basically sitting, right? It's sitting for long periods of time. You know, We hear about people on airplanes and really long flights of this happening too. So it's basically in a sitting position, not laying down? Yes, so it it can be um, it, you know so it can be either way. So it can be in a sitting position or laying down. Also, um, it's any period in which you're uh, you're not uh, using your calf muscles for a long duration of time, and this typically tends to be six hours or greater. Although sometimes people can have it more more sooner also, but typically six hours or more. So so often you'll hear this case of uh, pulmonary embolisms typically occurring somebody who takes a transatlantic flight. And, and immediately after the flight is over, their legs are swollen, and then they may break that blood clot from their legs, which goes into the lungs and, and cause, a, cause, cause the pulmonary embolism. But often, you know, it could be also somebody who, who's uh, broken their ankle or just had a major surgery and have been laying in bed for hours and hours, typically even days, 
and they, they tend to get blood clots in the legs, which could then break off and go to the lungs too. So how do you know if you have one? Do you get like a pain in the chest, or do you, do you feel the blood clot traveling? Are there common symptoms that somebody should be watching out for? Yeah, so, so yeah, so, so those symptoms are, are correct. So typical symptoms um, that helps people recognize that they may have a blood clot in the lung is, is chest pain, uh, which will be usually sudden onset chest pain. Uh, sometimes it might just be severe chest heaviness. Um, it could be shortness of breath. And a lot of times it's just severe palpitations. Um, and those would be the typical symptoms. Another thing to look out for is a lot of these people will have sudden onset swelling in the legs as, as the blood clot will typically form their post before it goes to the lungs. Would there be any pain at all um, in the legs if a blood clot was forming? Yes, if the swelling is, is severe, a lot of times people will have pain in the legs too. But it, it's not it's not there always. So the absence of it does not always rule out um, a pulmonary embolism or, it, or a blood clot in the leg. So this is a, a serious thing. You can die from this, right? Yes, yes, true. So it, in fact, um, it's considered to be actually the fourth um, leading cause of cardiovascular death in most developed nations. And in fact, um, pulmonary embolism um, is thought to be the, the most leading cause of death in the hospital. So, so certainly it's a major big problem. It's a, it's a major concern uh, worldwide right now. Wow, I did not know that. So is there any way to prevent this at all? If I, as you grow older, I mean, exercise, diet, does anything help prevent this from happening? Certainly, yeah. So, so one of the things, you know, uh, talking about prevention, what what uh, the patient can do for themselves, uh, or we can do for ourselves, is uh, is um, one of the things is to make sure we delay the damage within the blood vessels, the, the endothelial damage, um, and that typically can be delayed uh, by not smoking. Smoking typically tends to cause that damage, and I think overall puts people at risk of getting pulmonary embolism in the long run. Um, the other thing that would be always advised is if you're taking a long flight or uh, if you're driving a long distance, always stop a couple of every couple of hours, get out, walk a little bit, you know, flex your calves, um, and and then sit back uh, and continue with your flight or your or your drive. And so, um, so those are the things we typically suggest um, during surgery nowadays. Most major centers will up, have standard protocols where we have. Uh, devices called as uh, sequential compression devices, which pump, constantly pump uh, blood in the legs immediately after surgery or e- and even sometimes during surgery. Um, and we tend to give them low-dose blood thinners while they are in the hospital to avoid them from getting blood clots too. So if you do develop a pulmonary embolism, what is the treatment for it if it's caught in time? So if a pulmonary embolism is caught in time, uh, the most commonly used treatment is um, is blood thinners. Um, we used to have just one blood thinner for many years. Almost for the last 50 years, we had only one blood thinner called uh, warfarin. Uh, but now we actually have about four new blood thinners in market um, that we can use, um, all of which are FDA approved for the treatment of pulmonary embolism. So certainly we have a lot of advances when it comes to that. Um, and beyond that, it depends upon how bad the pulmonary embolism is. But often, as such as uh, big centers such as University of Virginia, 
uh, when you may have somebody with a sort of a high-risk pulmonary embolism, as in the blood clot burden is so much that it's causing stress on the heart, and we are worried that this could cause death in the near time, we often will have a multidisciplinary discussion of such patients uh, between the cardiovascular medicine group, um, interventional radiology group, as well as the cardiovascular surgery group, and, and discuss what would be the best option, whether just treating them with blood thinner or suffice, or should we go in and suck the clot out, clot out with thrombectomies or break down the clot with lytic agents, or actually do open surgery and remove the clot. So often, it's a fairly complicated uh, solution for the high-risk patients, and that's sort of we achieve through a more uh, multidisciplinary approach. So with treatment, you're generally able to get rid of the clot? Not always. So if we just use the standard treatment, which is blood thinner therapy, about 30% of the time, the clot um, will go away. About 30% of the time, half of the clot goes away. Um, the, using blood thinners is not actually, the, the role of blood thinners is not to break the clot down, but just to keep the blood thin enough so new clots don't form. And in that period of time, the body actually breaks down the clots on their own. Um, but that's why one of the reasons why when we have patients with too much blood clot that's causing stress on their heart, um, we will often think about going in and actually sucking the clot out with uh, sort of devices or actually doing open surgery and removing the clot. So what is the general prognosis then for reoccurrence if you uh, are unfortunate enough to develop one of these? So the prognosis of uh, recurrence or the likelihood of recurrence, I think, depends a lot on what under what conditions a person gets a blood clot. So if there's somebody who had a blood clot after major surgery or had a severe fracture, hip fracture, for instance, and couldn't move their leg for a long period of time, and then they get those blood clots, the recurrence of having another blood clot is fairly low um, in, the, in the long term. It could be less than 10% their entire lifetime at times. Um, whereas, um, because these people usually had a reason, you know, why they received the blood clot, because they, um, they clearly they couldn't move their leg for a long period of time and ended up getting a blood clot in their leg, which went to the lung. Um, on the other hand, we'll have people who just suddenly get a blood clot because they may have a genetically predisposing condition to get blood clots. Or um, or it could be the fact, uh, you know, or, or we may not even find anything genetic in them, but they just suddenly got a blood clot uh, for no clear reason at all. Those people, the risk of getting another blood clot is very high, and it can be sometimes up to 30% in the next 10 years of their life. And so typically for those people, we tend to keep them on blood thinner therapy for the rest of their life to avoid you know, getting another blood clot. And why should patients come to UVA for their vascular health needs? So uh, we, um, one of the things that we do at UVA in a very nice way um, is uh, we, we have a very collaborative uh, environment when it comes to vascular care. Um, vascular care can be provided by vascular surgery. It can be provided by cardiovascular medicine. Um, it can be provided by even vascular interventional radiologists. And often, all of these groups provide a certain amount of care. Uh, so at UVA, we all actually work together to provide what's, what could be possibly the best care that we could give for our patients uh, with vascular disease. And, and, and that's why I think that's one of the positive things about being at UVA, because you have the top-level surgeons, you have the best interventional radiologists you could potentially find in the country, or the peripheral interventionalists, 
Um, so we have all the skill set, um, all the techniques, um, and and all of us actually come together and decide what would be optimal and and treat patients that way. And so so that's why I think it's uh, one of the one of the best places to get vascular care in the country. Well, Dr. Sharma, thank you so much for your wonderful work, and thanks for being on with us today. For more information, you can go to uvahealth.com. That's uvahealth.com. This is UVA Health Systems Radio. Thanks for listening.